I'm Nathan Thomas. I'm the assistant pastor here at Westminster, and uh, let's worship. Uh, our passage this morning is from Acts 1, verses 6 through 11. Uh, as you're turning, uh, Happy New Year, or if you're on the Christmas calendar, this is the eighth day of Christmas. So if you're still in the Christmas spirit, we clearly are. We still have our Christmas tree up. I learned this past week that uh, my great-grandmother thought it was bad luck to have Christmas stuff after New Year's. I also learned this week that my great-grandmother was vehement that she was not superstitious. So, uh, whether uh, you're celebrating more uh, New Year's or in the Christmas spirit, I'm glad you're here to worship with us this morning. And this is Acts 1, verses 6 through 11. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witness in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus, who is taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way you saw him go into heaven. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, this is your word. And I pray if I speak anything false or untrue that it fall upon deaf ears. I pray that the Spirit may use your word to lift our hearts to Jesus. Amen. I like to use stories of my family uh, in sermons. I don't always ask for their permission and so I didn't ask my brother for permission, but he's at a tr different church. Uh, he works up in Charlotte, so maybe he won't see this. For those of you who don't know, my brother actually be, used to be youth leader here. Uh, this was back in the mid-2000s, I believe. Uh, I'm not great with timelines. And one of the things he did was he would take the youth to this big youth conference event in Atlanta, Georgia called uh, Gold Rush. And during that week, he may have gotten a little tired of the youth, which can happen occasionally. And then his exhausted, just wanted a moment to himself. And so he's at a gas station, and to take a moment to himself, he went out the side door, and he immediately walked in on a drug deal. And so he looked at the people, and he goes, have you ever heard the good news of Jesus? And he did a gospel presentation, and then he just walked right back into the gas station. I love that story, because that was Ben's knee-jerk reactions, like, I'm, I'm going to tell them about Jesus. Christ is at the center of everything we do. As believers, Christ should be at the center of everything we do. We should be 
quick to Jesus. And the passage we talked about, have this morning, is the story of the apostles being told, you're going to be my witnesses to the end of the earth, and they're going to go, and they're going to share Jesus. They're going to do it boldly. And so this is our main point this morning. Because Jesus has come, and we just celebrated Christmas, the celebration of Jesus, because Jesus has come and he's going to come again, we are to be witnesses to the ends of the earth. This is what we are called to do. The reason is simple. We're going to look at the need, and we're going to look at uh, the hope, um, and we're going to look at how we're going to do it. So first of all, the need. Here's the main point. People need Jesus. Now, if you're a believer, this is not a surprising statement. If you profess Christ, you have already said, no, I I know I need Jesus. But for those who don't know Christ, they may not know that they need Jesus. Matter of fact, we see this need in the very beginning. We see this in Adam and Eve. See, Adam and Eve, they they started off in a time in which they actually did not need Jesus. They were, in the sense that they were sinless. They, They had no pain. They had no sorrow. There was nothing evil about them. And life was good. And not in the simple billboard sense. But life was truly and genuinely good. But even in that goodness, they end up sinning. They end up wanting to become like God. They ignore his word. They eat of the fruit of the knowledge of of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And as soon as they eat, immediately they are ashamed. They're embarrassed and they want to hide. And in that, I feel like that is something we can all touch upon. We can all, we've all been there. We all have stories where we're in a situation where we don't want to be. We all have stories in which we're embarrassed. We all have stories in which we realize we have done wrong. We all have stories where we wish nobody ever hears, nobody ever wishes that that story would be told. Yet Adam and Eve's story is in the book that is the most read in the world. And in that story, we see something. We see uh, that, one, God has promised Adam and Eve judgment if they eat of the tree. And the judgment is a seal to them. They, they, as soon as they eat, that day of their death is sealed to them. But God also does something amazing. Adam and Eve are in their shame. They're embarrassed. They're sinful. This is a new thing. And God comes to them and he loves them and he shows them this kindness and mercy. And in front of them, he looks at the serpent and he says this, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. 
Now, if you're not familiar with this passage, it's got a very fancy name called the Proto-Evangelion, which simply means this is the first telling of Jesus. Adam and Eve are in their sin. They're embarrassed. They are ashamed. They are hurt. Their fellowship with God is broken. And yet God does an amazing thing. He tells them immediately about Jesus. He tells them, Jesus will crush your head, the head of the serpent. Adam and Eve are in need of hope, and, Christ, and God immediately provides it by pointing them to Christ. Words such as these, they're like a daybreak after a long night. It's the word of Jesus pointing people to the cross, that, that is the hope that people need. And we all need this message. We're all sinners. Adam and Eve, they're our mother and father. C.S. Lewis, in his Chronicles of Narnia, they, he calls the Pevensey's children sons of Adam and daughters of Eve. Uh, it's beautiful and poetic, and he drives from the point that in the sin of Adam and Eve... We are all sinners. Now I know this can grate against sort of the individualism of our day. But if Adam and Eve are the heads of our family, and they are, for they are the first humans, they have moved our entire house from a state in which we were sinless to a state in which we are sinful. You, you did not get a vote in this. I'm sorry. I didn't make the rules. And I'll tell you this. Any thoughts that you would have done better than Adam and Eve is simple, foolish pride. You would have sprinted to the tree. We are all sinners. We have all fallen. We have all wronged others. And we have all been wronged by others. Even worse, we have, we have all trespassed and offended God. We are all in need of hope. We are all in need of a Savior. And that Savior is found in Jesus. In their pain, God quickly points Adam and Eve to Christ. My encouragement to you this morning is, if you know Christ, you are to do likewise and point others to Jesus. This, this is what we're called to do. Jesus himself says the laborers to do this are few. In Matthew 9, uh, Jesus is looking at the crowds, he's feeding them, and, he's, and it says this, When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them, because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the heavens to send out laborers into his harvest. And once again, we see God compassionate. He's looking out of the crowd. He sees they are weakened. They are exhausted. They are despondent. And they are cast out, as set aside as if nobody cares. And he looks out and he says, there is 
plenty of need. But the laborers are few. Not only that, he's telling his people this. He's looking at his disciples, his closest bunch, the guys he's pouring into. He's like, guys, the laborers are few. In some ways, this would be like the coach about to take his team out on the football field and looks at him and is like, guys, pray the Lord gives us some football players. Jesus asks us to pray that people will go. He's asking his disciples, pray that people will go. Pray that God's worth Word may go forth. Pray that the harassed and the helpless hear the good news, that they have the comfort of the Spirit, that they may know the Savior. Pray that people will go. Not just sit and say, oh man, that's terrible. Somebody should do something. But actually, no, pray that they go and do. Share the good news. So in our prayers, I ask this, how, pray that, how, how can I help with the harvest? What can I do? Can I send? Can I go? How may I serve? How may I help? And then go with what the wisdom of the Spirit provides you. Because it's always been the plan. It has always been the plan that God will send his people to the nations. In the Old Testament, missionary work was different. The idea was Israel would honor God. They would follow the rules of God. They would honor God. They would praise God. And then all the nations would see. And then they would come to Israel and see who God is. How great God is. And they'll see it because how small Israel is. And tremendous blessings. And like, Praise the Lord. And it kind of works a little bit during Solomon's reign. But it's never going to stay that way. Even in our call to worship this morning, the psalm is, praise the Lord, all nations extol him, all peoples. Not just Israel, but all nations, all peoples. Isaiah, it is... Too light of a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and bring back the preserved of Israel. I will make you as a light for the nations that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. God's like, yeah, it is too easy of a job to be a light to one nation. No, no, no. We're going to be a light to the nations. In Zephaniah, we see a reversal of the Tower of Babel. He says, for at that time I will change the speech of the peoples to a pure speech that all of them may call upon the name of the Lord and serve him with one accord. The language of all peoples be languages that praise the Lord. And then in Malachi... For from the rising of the sun to its setting, my name will be great among the nations. And in every place, incense will be offered to my name and a pure offering. For my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord of hosts. 
God is saying, my name will be great as long as the sun is in the sky. So it really should be no surprise that Jesus turns and tells the apostles in Acts 1, you will be my witness in Jerusalem, in all of Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. That verse right there is just an outline for the book of Acts. The apostle starts in Jerusalem, and then they share Jesus in Judea and Samaria. And by the end of Acts, Paul is in Rome, roughly 2,000 miles away, saying, Therefore, let it be known to you that this salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles. They will listen. Paul is bold in this proclamation, and why shouldn't he be? The good news has been sent out. The gospel is going forth. He knows the need of Jesus. He knows the hope that is offered. And that it goes to the nation has always been the intention. Not only that, God is the one who sends his people to take it forth. He is to the disciples, Jesus say, pray for harvesters. It is to the disciples, he goes, you will be my witness. And we follow after the apostles. We, we worship here this morning because of the work done by the apostles. We are called to follow Jesus. In doing so, we are called to do evangelism. We are called to share the good news. Now, I'm not saying everybody in here is a specially gifted and evangelism. But if you want to follow the Lord, this is what we are tasked with. This is the good work, one of the good, many good works that is laid before us. Again, why wouldn't we? Now, I can understand we could be afraid of judgment. It can be an awkward conversation. Uh, you may even think people aren't going to listen to me. But if you're a believer this morning, I want you to take a second and reflect on what the news of Jesus means to you. Reflect on that hope. Reflect on the salvation that he provides, of the sins that he has forgiven. Think about how salvation is assured. That there will be a time in which there are no more sorrows. Why would we sit on such great news? If we place our faith in Jesus, if we are going to be redeemed, that's the promise. It's one of the first verses that everyone has memorized. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. That's a guarantee. That's a promise from the word of God. If you believe in Jesus, if your faith is in Christ, you will be saved. And that's what we have as Christians, and that is what we want people to know. And so, yes, it can be awkward, it can be troublesome, and it can place us in a moment of vulnerability, but I want to encourage you, you're not going alone. 
The Holy Spirit will aid you. In Acts, he tells them, when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and we see this in, uh, clearly in Peter's sermon, and throughout Acts, the Holy Spirit is at work. And it's not just the apostles, it's those who come after the apostles. You can't tell me that Stephen's sermon, before he is martyred, was not guided by the Holy Spirit. The Lord doesn't abandon his people. He's not, go, and then, I hope you do well. No, he tells them in Matthew, I am with you always to the end of the age. That's how Matthew ends, this great promise that Christ is with his people. So when we go forth and we tell people about Jesus, we are doing the Lord's work with the Lord. Now I get it. It can, it can feel anxious. It can be taxing. It can be burdensome. Uh, I, can, I know in my ministry, and even a lot in this past year, I was kind of close to burnout, if not fully there. It was hard. But one of the things that I constantly remind myself, one of the things that I do my best just to assume that it's true, and I remind myself on a daily basis, God is at work. The Holy Spirit is with us. And this is one of the benefits of youth ministry is you get to see the Holy Spirit at work. I, a few weeks ago, we had our Christmas party, and all of a sudden, at the end of the Christmas party, our seniors got together for a picture. And I hadn't thought much yet about our seniors graduating. But there I am, I'm sitting there, and I was looking at them take this picture, and I'm like, oh no. To think about the work that the Spirit has done in their lives. Now, I'll probably go on much longer in the spring. Paul will tell me I have 10 minutes, and then I'll take 15. But I'll talk about the seniors then. Uh, but just to remember how they came in as sixth graders. And now that they're graduating, and the love that they have for one another, for the other youth uh, that are coming after them, and the love that they have for Jesus, it's a testimony to the work of the Holy Spirit. It's a beautiful reminder. The Spirit does not return our ministry's void. When we share the name of Jesus, that is never done in vain. Whether you see change or not, the Spirit is at work. So when we feel like it's, we're putting our necks out there, it feels like we are invulnerable positions. It feels like we're sharing deeply personal things, and we are. Know that the Spirit is with us. The Spirit is with you. Trust that the Spirit will bring you words, even if they're not the eloquent words that you wish to say. The Spirit will use them for his glory, for the glory of Jesus, for the glory of the Father. So whether your words are smooth and eloquent or you just fumble through them, 
Lord, will, Christ will use those words. He will use our actions to soften the hearts of peoples and bring them to the kingdom of God. We are called to go. That is what we are told to do. Go and share Jesus. But we do not go alone. Remember that the Spirit does, really does the heavy lifting in this. So what's our hope in all this? Um, The rest of the staff are very goal-oriented people, which is wonderful for them. I am not... And Paul's celebrating back there. Um, I've, I've come a long way in this in that I now set goals. Um, but what's our hope in evangelism? What, what are we looking for? What is our prayer? Not just to go, but what's our hope? Well, one, we want many people to come to the great banquet. Our prayer is that the party grows, the celebration Grows and that we may get to know our brothers and sisters in Christ. In Luke 14, Jesus tells the parable of the great banquet, and in the middle of it, after people have turned down the invitation, he tells the servants to go out to the highways and the hedges and compel people to come in that my house may be filled. We want the Lord's house to be full. We want to compel people to come in. We want to show them the great feast that Jesus has prepared. That there is a treasure to behold in Christ. We have received the invitation to the table and we're called to go and send out more invitations to the table. So our hope is that the kingdom may grow. Not just to our missionaries in our foreign field, although that is a part of our prayer, but in our city as well. We want the word to go forth in Sumter. We want the people in Sumter to know Jesus, that people may come to the Lord. We want to increase our family. We want to break bread with more brothers and sisters in Christ. We want to celebrate. We want, we should want and desire to feed those who hunger and thirst, to comfort those who mourn. We should desire to show God to all those that need to see God. If you are a believer, you're here this morning You're in Christ because somebody shared the good news of Jesus with you. Whether it was your parents or family in raising you up, whether it was a friend who took you on a fishing trip, or maybe it was a complete stranger, somebody just bold enough to say, hey, you need Jesus. We should do likewise. We should go and extend the invitation that we have received. And I'll say this. Another hope is that through evangelism, we grow in our faith. In Paul's letter to Philemon, he says this, And I pray that the sharing of your faith 
may become effective for full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. Paul's saying, hey, in sharing your faith, you, you will know fuller the good news. You'll know fuller of Jesus, more deeply of the Lord. Because when we tell others of the goodness of the gospel, it reminds ourselves of how great God is. We recount the glorious things that Jesus has done for us. And that should move our hearts greater toward the Lord. So when we share, we deepen our faith in Him. We're saying, not only do I trust Him with my life, you need to trust Him with yours. And when we see others come to faith, that provides testimony to the greatness of who Jesus is, the greatness of our Savior. It gives, shows assurance in what we believe. We see the Spirit at work. We see lives changed. And we share to others the good news. And finally, our hope is that Jesus is going to return. Now, when I read scripture, I tend to read more humor in that's there. But when Jesus ascends, you have the apostles looking up, and then all of a sudden there's two men in white robes standing next to him. It's like, he's coming back. And maybe it's because of the season. It just reminds me of looking at somebody who's seeing someone, a house that has been worked on with Christmas lights for days, and then you see the glory, and all of a sudden your cousin Eddie is right next to you, Oh, what are you doing here? But these are heavenly men saying, look, you know Jesus is going to come back. It's not that just Jesus died on the cross and ascended into heaven. It's that Jesus is going to return. Our hope, our salvation is assured. Jesus is going to come back and the nations will rejoice. And we will get to that point in Revelation where every knee and tongue shall bow and praise the name of Jesus. That is our hope when we share the gospel. So, let us take his name with us wherever we go. Let us be witnesses for Jesus to the ends of the earth. Let us tell people of the Savior. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, uh, you have sent your Son for our salvation. Lord, in a time of night in which the, there was no hope, you point us to Jesus. You did that with Adam and Eve. You did that when Christ was here. And you do that continually throughout generations. Lord, we worship you because you have sent people to share the gospel. And I ask, Father, that we may share your good news. In Jesus' name, amen.